Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, the New York Knicks win game one. Let's go 101 to 97 over the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to take you through all of it, including Julius Randle's comeback, Jalen Brunson's heroics, and a near perfect playoff debut for Josh Hart. All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked on Knicks your first listen. Um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe we're your second listen tonight. You know what, if you're tuning in, I don't really care. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, but generally, for making us your first listen today and every day, uh, I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. And we are live right now on YouTube. Um, so if you are tuning in, uh, please uh, throw us some comments, throw us some questions. Um, but Alex, uh, man, what an incredible win for the Knicks. I I feel like I've, I've said this a bunch this year, but an, another one of those that's in the top, it feels like five to 10 I've ever seen in my Knicks fandom. Um, the Knicks um, hold Cleveland at bay throughout the first half, despite Jalen Brunson picking up three fouls, only plays nine minutes in the first half. Julius Randle, he was active and he was awesome, particularly in the first half of play. 16 points, four rebounds, two assists in the first half for Randle. Um, didn't really look like he missed much of a beat. Tibbs subbed him out a little bit earlier than he typically would um, to I, may, maybe just for conditioning reasons, maybe so he didn't overexert himself early in this game. But man, Randall did everything possible to keep the Knicks in the game. And then the second half was the Villanova boys show. Uh, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Brunson hitting big shot after big shot down the stretch. Josh Hart. Maybe I'll just say he did have probably the best game of anyone on this team. 17 points, 10 rebounds, eight for 11 from the field. Um, A three pointer in the final two minutes to beat the shot clock buzzer that I I don't think the Knicks would have won without it. I I believe if I'm remembering correctly, made it 97, 93. Um, Just uh, I I, I know we're not supposed to use this language, but I I think playoff basketball warrants it. Uh, A big ball shot from Josh Hart for a guy who was shooting 30% from three for the majority of the season. And then the combination of Brunson and the offensive rebounding of Hartenstein and Randall Alex, just enough for the Knicks to win down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to start with Brunson, obviously, although really they owe so much to that rebounding too. There's just so many, it's like tough to pick one MVP or like one player. This was like really the consummate team effort that you hope to see from the Knicks and kind of, kind of what we talked about when we did the the stream earlier where we talked about the depth and how the depth could work to, you know in the Knicks favor like every single player that touched the floor for the Knicks in this game made an impact at some point um you know even the guys that that struggled a little bit still did stuff you know what i mean like like even Emmanuel quickly had maybe one of his worst games in a while still impacted the game in some way 
and you know left a little bit of a stamp on it but the rebounding was just so clutch like really the Knicks owe it all to that you know it was, it was so tight down the stretch and the margins were so thin and you know they missed some shots and in some cases that can mean you know especially with a team with a guy like Donovan Mitchell that can mean okay defensive board get down the floor put it in Donovan Mitchell's hands he's going to make a three or something that's going to be a backbreaker and instead Isaiah Hartenstein kicks out a uh an offensive rebound by just kind of like scooping it away from the Cavs players late in the game Julius Randle comes up with one right at the end kicks it out to Quentin Grimes who makes two clutch free throws to put the game out of reach I mean this just felt right to your point like so monumental I don't know it's just so fun It, it felt like I mean, I guess now we kind of know what the Hawks fans felt like two years ago, you know, winning like this backbreaking game one uh, on the road that just felt like a real tone setter. Like, I really, I think my biggest takeaway from this game is that the Knicks played kind of a crappy game overall and they still won. I mean, this is like, I think, honestly, this was about about as bad like on the overall that we've seen the Knicks play in like two months. You know, like they just they couldn't make threes They're You know, the offense seemed a little disjointed at times. They had a number of possessions just end with like shot clock violations or very nearly shot clock violations. And of course, like Cleveland has a great defense and that's sort of like their staple. But, you know, you still want to see more than that out of the Knicks. And, you know, they just saved themselves by being way more committed to winning than the Cavs were in this game by getting after every loose ball, by getting after every rebound and generating all these extra opportunities for themselves. And if this is, if this is like the best that the Cavs can throw at the Knicks and the Knicks can win a game playing like this, then things are looking pretty good for the Knicks for this series. Cause they're not going to shoot 27 and a half percent from three for this whole series. Yeah. I, I think I would, I'd push back a little bit, right? Because you, you're almost like, you're almost grading on, on a curve, right? For the playoffs. Like it's kind of um, for me to make an analogy that maybe 10 people watching will appreciate. It's almost like, you know, in Dragon Ball Z where, where Piccolo would always wear like the weighted gear. Like it, it feel it feels like that. Like, like every, everyone was going through the mud. Like you could, you could tell that Emmanuel quickly, like obviously people can reference his rookie year, like didn't really play much. It hasn't gotten a lot of playoff experience, certainly in the context he's in now he played like he, like you, you want to talk about worst game in two months, like the, like that first half. And, he, and then he barely played in the second half. That first half was like the worst I've seen him play in, in about 50 games. And, and maybe there's some horrific game that I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering, but man, he, he was terrible. Quentin Grimes was just like, I mean, he, look, he, he hit the two clutches free throws of the entire um, season, right? Yeah. Kim, Kim Jennings agrees with us. We play bad and we still won. Um, but outside of that, like Quentin Grimes, a guy who's been the best three point shooter in basketball had two in a row, one of them completely wide open and missed them both, like just skimming front rim. Like you, you could tell that he didn't totally have his feet under him yet. Opie Toppin, um, look, look scared, you know whatless in the first half, and then rebounded, um, to to make a have a game changing third quarter with seven points in the third quarter. Um, R.J. Barrett just two for twelve. Barrett, Grimes, and quickly combining to shoot, um, some quick math here, three for twenty one from the floor in this game. And yet, to some extent, Alex, I think that just is the nature of playoff basketball, particularly with a young team. I mean, when you just look up and down this roster, like who who has substantial playoff experience in their career? It's Jalen Brunson, and that's really where the list ends. And and you could tell in this game. And yet, all the the like factors that 
let them play well down to stretch of this year, I think we're still present, right? The physicality, the offensive rebounding, you said it, th- those two were game savers. And, and Josh Hart, um, a guy that I think we could have predicted was built for the playoffs. And yet at age 27 has never been in one of these games before. And it, it, it just did not seem to matter for him because he was maybe the one guy more than anyone else. I would, I would put Julius somewhat in this category as well, but Hart seemed like the guy least affected by this stage. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, you bring up the the fact that the Knicks are a young team. I guess it bears mentioning that the Cavs are a pretty young and pretty unplayoff tested team too. I mean, it it kind of showed that like Donovan Mitchell is the only guy on this team that's consistently been to the playoffs in his career um, because he was the only one that seemed just kind of ready for the stage on their team. I guess Garland had a pretty decent game in his own right, but like Evan Mobley, for example, looked shook. I mean, he looked not ready for the stage yet. Okoro couldn't make anything. Not that I mean, the Knicks kind of just dared him to to <laughs> make something, and he didn't. He he only made one of six shots. Oh, four from three. Um, you know, Osmond played okay. Like Levert didn't look very good in this game. Like, it, you know, it's it sort of comes down to like I guess both teams kind of went through their growing pains in their own ways in this game, uh, and you saw a lot of guys that are like second, third year players that haven't really had a chance to be on this stage yet, kind of get their feet wet and feel like, okay, now I understand what it's like to be in a game where everyone's going to be coming at my neck every single possession. And or like, in the case of Okoro, like like blatantly daring me to shoot <laughs> in a very big moment and, you know, making me, you know, make shots that I, I normally struggle to make and now I'm extra going to struggle to make because it's such a big stage. Um, but yeah, to your point, like Hart was amazing. Um 17 points, 10 boards, two assists. Like he just had endless energy. You know, he did, he did exactly what we thought he was going to do with those 10 boards. Like just came in and snatched them right out of the hands of so many guys and was just in the thick of every single play and then was starting transition. And that was, you know, when the Knicks got out in transition. And I hope that like this is what can get Emmanuel quickly going. In the next game, this could get Obi Toppin even more going in the next game. That's what could get RJ Barrett going in the next game. I hope that they embrace transition more because the transition was so key to making the Cavs uncomfortable, I feel like. And Josh Hart, as usual, is like right at the at the center of that because he'll just get one of those defensive rebounds and run coast to coast. And you know, teams don't know what to do with that because normally, especially a team like the Cavs, are like expecting you to kind of set up like they're going to do and that they're going to dictate the pace. And yet the Knicks just kind of said, and especially Josh Hart said, like, you don't get to dictate the pace. I'm going to dictate the pace this time. And I'm, I'm going to run the floor and I'm going to get down there and, and, you know, score right on your face and you're just gonna have to deal with it. And it was, it was awesome. And also, as you said, just the, the absolute stones to take that shot late in the game and make it when he hadn't he'd only taken one three prior to that point yeah and then just says you know what i might be tired i might be in the middle of like i don't know i think he must have played like the final 12 to 14 minutes or something in this game and it just be like i don't care if i have dead legs i'm just gonna make this shot because it's the moment i've been waiting for he was he was just fantastic yeah i i mean he I, I, I was wrong. It was it was after the Knicks got down, right? Jared Allen made that tip shot. Like, look, we can we can zoom back. The Knicks were leading this game 89 to 81 before that, 87 to 77. And then Cleveland stormed back. It was Donovan Mitchell making a 26 foot three, um, 26 foot three. RJ Barrett um 
which is just kind of handing the ball to Darius Garland on a drive. Mitchell got the transition layup. Then Jalen Brunson tried to pull off a of Mitchell, tried to split a double team. Mitchell got the steal. Osmond got the layup. Jared Allen got a tip shot with um, two minutes and 12 seconds left after Mitchell had a miss and the Knicks all were closing in on him. And then shot clock dwindling. Knicks giving up that big lead. I, I don't know about you, Alex, in my household. It felt like the walls were closing in. I, I was breathing heavy. I was like, someone get me a brown paper bag. This isn't good. I'm going to have a panic attack. And Josh Hart, I did when the shot went up, it was it was a real no, 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 no. Yes. Yes. He made it. Um, and from that point on, like it was still tense, but I kind of felt like that that won the game to make it 95 to 93 with 149 to go. Um, you could say in the last last decade, I mean, you could you could even say like since since 2000, that that has to be one of the five biggest shots a, a Nick has made. Um, I, I, I go back to Mello against Chicago, uh, Julius against the Heat this year. Um, we can we can do that episode another day, but that was that was a crazy, crazy, crazy shot from Josh Hart, and that's and look, man, I would let, let, let's let's do that trade all over again with Portland. When when it, when it first happened, I was sort of like, ah, you know, like he's he's gonna help. It's it's gonna be nice. I, I hate giving up a first round pick in this draft. Now I'm like, you know, give him three, give him four. I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy is is an absolute game changer uh, for the New York Knicks. Um, how about this? Let's let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk a little bit more about Josh Hart. Let, let's get into some of these comments because I, I think some of the people have uh, some great points, Alex, on how this game pointed out some crucial weaknesses on um, Cleveland's part that could potentially dictate um, some optimism for the Knicks going forward beyond just winning game one in and of, in and of itself. Uh, but first, I got to tell everyone about Nissan's most electric player of the week. Um, and it's brought to you by the all new 2023 Nissan Aria. So part of me Wants to shout out uh, Julius Randle again. Um, he, he was amazing coming back from the injury. Jalen Brunson made big shot after big shot. But I, I just told you about our guy. It is Josh Hart. Um, a level of toughness, of determination, um, a lack of shakiness. Like, he he is already playing playoff basketball 24-7. Jalen Brunson even said in the postgame, like, whether it's a, like a regular season game, it's a practice, it's a pickup, it's in college, it's in the league, it doesn't matter. Josh Hart is who Josh Hart is. And it won the Knicks the game tonight. He was brilliantly fierce attacking the rim, fiercely elegant on that what turned out to be a game-winning three-pointer. I'm always shocked by the stunningly powerful nature of his game. The way teams are, are, are opposing defenders just seem to bounce off him. The dude is a human bowling ball. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all new all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive and you can shop now at NissanUSA.com. So with that, Alex, we are back. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to go next? Josh Hart, uh, Julius Randall, Jalen Brunson, get into some of these comments. Yeah, let's let's uh, highlight the, this these couple comments that came in through YouTube, sort of like a live mailbag here almost. Uh, so first, Kim Jennings points out three of the Cavs starters had 40 plus minutes and the most a Knicks player had was 34. Uh, we will tire them out by game four. Then our buddy Jordan Bubb here says Knicks minute distribution tonight. Brunson, 30 minutes. Randall, 31 minutes. Hart, 33 minutes. Cavs minute distribution tonight. Allen, 43 minutes. Garland, 43 minutes. Mitchell, 44 minutes. Definitely pretty poignant stuff there. Now, of course, we should add the caveat. Like, Brunson most likely would have played 
closer to 40 minutes had he not gotten into foul trouble in the first half. Uh, he ser- he only played about nine minutes in the first half, so he played over 20 in the second. So he, he most likely would have played closer to 40 minutes, and that would have been great for the Knicks. But, like, the 33 for Julius, I don't know how you felt about this, Gavin, but I kind of, like, he obviously had to get his win back, and I kind of loved that Tibbs was so cognizant of that. Like, we were kind of worried about that when we were – when we were talking earlier, like, or maybe I was ta- I was saying this somewhere else, but like, I was just, I was worried about Julius coming back too soon and then not having his wind and then being out there tired and, you know, not getting a proper amount of rest or tips just like, as usual being like, nope, I'm going to ride my guy. He's, he's healthy enough to play. He's healthy enough to be out there for 42 minutes, you know, and, you know, just kind of running Julius into the ground like that instead he gave Obi almost 15 minutes and he really made the most of them. Like, and I think that's great. I think that the Knicks should be looking for that change of pace because the reality is even if Julius does get his win back by like game three, game four, and feels like he's at where he wants to be cardio wise, I think you should still be looking to do this minutes distribution because Obi just gives you such a different look out there than with Randall and gives you a guy that's just going to be sprinting the floor to, to the point of the people in the comments saying like, how many more minutes that the Cavs played tiring out, you know, the Cavs players and whether it's their bench or their starters, if you tire out their bench, then their starters come in sooner. And then the starters have to play more minutes and they're playing tired down the stretch. If you tire out their starters, great, because that's the only players that could do anything on this Cavs team because their bench showed in this game, they're not a threat. Like you just have to contain Garland, Mitchell, uh, Mobley and Allen. That is it. Like that is all you have to worry about with this team. And that's no small task, but like the Cavs don't have depth. So I, I kind of loved how this all worked out in a weird way. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think there there's a world, right. Where how this game played out isn't how every game plays out. Like I, I think there's, I think there's going to be a game in this series where, where Karis Levert maybe gets hot scores somewhere between 15 and 24 points. And that could swing a game. There's going to be a game in this series where Isaac Okoro like hit, hits a couple threes and he's able to play down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, maybe there's a game where Ricky Rubio makes a few more plays, where Dean Wade makes a few more plays. But this is kind of what we expected coming in, right? People could go back and watch our live stream earlier today. They could watch any of the podcasts we've done this week. We said we said the bench was going to be one of those pivotal battlegrounds in this series. And, I mean, you you look at the totals, and, and the, the Knicks just absolutely dominated that aspect of the game. Like, I'll, I'll do the math right now. Um, the Knicks get 37 points off the bench. Cleveland gets 14 points off the bench. Like, like if that if that sustains, like Donovan Mitchell could have a couple 50 point games, and, and it's still not going to be enough for the Cavs. And I, I think to me that was maybe the single most encouraging part of this game is just that you could you could feel the the dirt the dearth of optionality for Cleveland. Right, because Mitchell was man, he was fantastic. 38 points, eight assists, five rebounds, three steals. And that's kind of what you have to expect from him, right? We we saw this guy in the bubble come pretty close to averaging like over 40 points per game for an entire series. He is the, I think coming into the playoffs, maybe it's even higher now, the seventh leading score, leading scorer on in a points per game basis in the history of basketball in the playoffs. So that's just what he does, right? Donovan Mitchell's that guy. He's that good. Would, would have been a great Nick. Um, D- Darius Garland, like he, he was making shots, but I, I think what the Knicks did so well for him or, or with him is they just, they forced him Alex into being a shooter, not a creator. 
he he's still a little bit more dangerous to me as a passer than he is as a pure volume scorer. And he was super efficient, but he only got off 13 shots. He only had one assist in this game, and he had five turnovers in this game. That That is picture-perfect how you want to defend Garland. And the way the Knicks did it was by crashing to the rim and barricading the rim and doubling and tripling down on what they've tried to do as a defensive team all season long. And, and that is to not let you win at the rim. That, that is Tom Thibodeau basketball for the last 20 to 30 years now. And it's to Dare and Isaac Okoro saying, hey, you want to go beat us from three? Go beat us from three. Okoro missed two threes early, passed up a wide open one in the first quarter. And after he did that, you know you know what happens when guys start doing that in playoff basketball? They hit the bench because it's not sustainable to play four on five. And look, Chetty Osman, I, I honestly thought did a pretty good job on Brunson down the stretch. Like the reason the Knicks needed those two offensive rebounds were because Brunson missed two big shots. But Brunson also had 21 points in the second half and was pretty much unstoppable. And I think a, a way the Knicks can compound that even further is by having Quentin Grimes out there next game or, or Emmanuel quickly in there down the stretch the whole time with Brunson instead of R.J. Barrett. This is something um, Ariel Pacheco, who's, who's going to be um, with us in person uh, post-game game two to talk about stuff like this. Um, but he noted that when Grimes or quickly are on the floor, you, you just can't guard Brunson the same way. That second defender, it's a much harsher rotation to play off of one of those guys than it is to play off of R.J. Barrett. And when Brunson started getting stymied a little bit, it was early in the fourth quarter when teams were happy to help off of R.J. When R.J. came off the floor, particularly in the third quarter, you saw Grimes set these great screens um, on Karis LeVert. And Brunson was going to work on Darius Garland. He was going to work on Donovan Mitchell, getting to the matchup he wants. And to me, down the stretch of these games, I know teams tend to go a little bit more iso ball. It's still essential that you can go and get those switches Grimes, not only does he set harder screens than RJ, but because he has that gravity as a shooter, if you're a defender, you need to make the switch because if not, Grimes is walking into a wide open three. Quickly is walking into a wide open three. And I know they both really struggled shooting the basketball today. Over the course of the series, the Cavs are going to pay for those shots. So either you're giving Brunson his matchup or you're giving one of those two guys an open three. And as this series goes along, Alex, I think that's going to get increasingly painful for Cleveland. And, and, and I think what's going to maybe win the series for the Knicks is that Cleveland can't make, make the Knicks pay the same way on the other end because they're not playing guys who can shoot quite as well. Yeah, and it's it just speaks to the depth once again. I feel like we're going to be talking about the depth a ton throughout the course of the series. But to your point, like none of none of those three guys, uh, quickly Grimes, Barrett, those are like the three guys that are fight. Assuming that Josh Hart plays as well as he has and is probably going to occupy the nominal three spot, or whatever you want to call him, the two. I don't know. doesn't really matter. But one of those two wing spots, if he's going to be closing games there, presumably you're going to have Grimes quickly and, and RJ fighting for that that second spot, along with having Brunson you know, close the game at point guard, Randall at power forward, and either Mitch or Hartenstein at center, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second too. But uh, you know, all three of those guys were not particularly good shooting the ball, but all three of those guys have shown that they can shoot the ball. Um, unfortunately... After this game, I think RJ probably made the least good case for himself because, yeah, to your point, like he just did not look confident. Like, it, I I can't remember the last time that I saw him be quite that tentative with the ball. Like, it, there was the one, there was like one possession where he just got it, and he had a like for him a pretty wide open three. You know, as someone was closing, but they were far away enough that he easily could have gotten it off clean. And yet he still just kind of paused for a second. And in that half second of processing where he couldn't decide if he wanted to take the shot or not, 
the defender closed more. Then he had to put it on the floor, and he ultimately didn't wind up taking a shot. He just kind of drove into the teeth of the D, didn't have much of a plan. I don't remember how that possession wound up ending. I think it just ended with a miss from someone else shooting against a, a short shot clock. But, you know, it's like you can't have that sort of hesitation. And that's the same stuff we saw of, out of Okoro too, right? Which is why he kind of got played off the floor. And it's a shame because I really loved what I saw out of RJ otherwise. Like, I thought that his, his decision-making was good. He was moving the ball really well. He was being, you know, active with uh, the passing lanes and with stripping guys and stuff. Like, he had four steals in this game. Like, I thought his defense was good, and I thought that he all in all was playing a pretty good game. But, yeah, you can't you can't down the stretch have someone on the floor that just can't shoot. You know, it's been proven time and time again in the NBA. Like, that just doesn't work. Um, and that's why, you know, you see a guy like Okoro not play down the stretch too. But it's the, – the Cavs should be really worried, though, that – RJ Grimes and quickly shot a combined. What is it? Two for three, three 11. for 21. Three, two. Well, I was going to say two for 11 from three yeah, in this game. Yeah. Um, and, and yet the Cavs still couldn't win this game because one of those guys is going to start going off. My money would probably be, probably be on quickly or Grimes, but possibly RJ as well. And if that happens, the Cavs are screwed, man. What are they going to do to counter that? Like, cause they couldn't even beat the Knicks in this game when, when really nobody but Brunson or Randall could be relied on for well, and Hart could be relied on for super consistent offense. So, yeah, I I feel great <laughs> as a Knicks fan coming out of this game um, and heading into the into the future games. I do just have to real quick. We gotta uh, give our second uh, break here and and tell you guys about Built Bars, uh, but we'll continue checking out your comments and, and reacting to some in a second here. And uh, also talk about Julius Randle. I don't think we've really done him justice yet uh, for just how good he he was in the first half of this game, how courageous he was coming back off that injury. But first, I got to remind you guys, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And if you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You got to try them. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but you don't want to compromise on taste, well, I have just the thing for you, Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing, you won't think they're good for you. They really taste like a candy bar, more so than a protein bar. It's not like eating a a, a, a big sandbar covered in gross, waxy chocolate. It's like eating a chewy, chocolate-covered candy bar because they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That is right, real chocolate. And they have unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm really not sure how they do it too because they have amazing macros, just 130 calories and four grams of sugar, but a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. And now you don't need to wait to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering built bars at built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get specialty bars at built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of built bars. You can pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puff and cookies and cream. Definitely one of my favorites. And if you're close to Sam's club, run in and grab a 13 bar box with hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. All right, Gavin, we're back in. And continuing talking about this awesome win, 101 to 97, the Knicks beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I, I, I mentioned Julius Randle before the break, but I'll throw it to you. What? Do you, who do you want to highlight next? Because there's there's still a lot of meat on the bone here. I think for us to to go off of. Yeah, I just I want to to your point and to other people's points. I I just wanted to like 
balance it out on on RJ um, a little bit because man, I thought the start that he had to this game was was awesome, and it was it. I maybe this is just kind of like inherent to playoff basketball, but for so many guys on this team, right? It was a tale of two halves. I, I thought RJ, even though he didn't shoot well, had an incredible first half. I thought Julius Randle had incredible first half. I thought both had their issues in the second half. I thought Mitchell Robinson had one of his worst halves of the season, the first half. And then I thought he was amazing um, in the second half. Obi Toppin non-existent in the first half. Incredible in that third quarter. Like we can go on and on and on with these guys, but it's it's maybe just like in a, in a big picture sense, the the story of this team that guys lifted each other up. Um, but more specifically on RJ, I mean, the, the start that he had to this game defensively, like setting the tone, helping the Knicks get out to a nine to two lead. I mean, shutting up uh, that 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 Cavs centric crowd uh, early on in this game. Um, he was just super aggressive, um, playing the passing lanes, like chasing Darius Garland, tipping a pass away, sprinting the floor hard, slipping it to Julius Randle, got him a wide open three. And you saw Randle um, kind of hesitate and then just no one was near him. And then he drained it. And I think that initial shot kind of like let Julius know. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good enough to go. I'm, I'm ready to play. Like my, my shot, my shot's not gone. Even, even if I'm not at quite at full speed, not at, not at quite my athletic peak yet. Um, and then he had another one, like him and Randall had this really smart trap. And I'm not sure if it was called from by Tom Thibodeau on the sideline um, or, or what it was, but they just poked it away from Darius Garland on, on a pass when he tried to throw it over RJ Randall ran the floor, got a layup. Um, RJ did a really nice job switching onto Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's eyes kind of light up when he gets that switch, but RJ slid his feet, stuck right with him, forced a missed floater, um, went right at Darius Garland, I think late first quarter, early second to draw foul, had another really nice kick in the corner on a drive to Obi Toppin for wide open three. He ended up missing it, but Mitch got a dunk. Um, then RJ hit a big three, like the stuff in the first half was great. And I just, I didn't think the decision-making in the second half was there for him. Because in the first half, Cleveland was playing him as if he wanted to shoot a little bit more. And the second half, and I think this was a, a great adjustment from J.B. Bickerstaff, they were like, all right, RJ, like you haven't shot well in, in, in weeks or months. Like Go go prove it. And, and then RJ was kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. Um, and that's when things became kind of problematic for him. All right, that's it for this first part. We had a pretty long live stream last night, so we're splitting this into two episodes just to make it a little more digestible for you guys. So... Uh, tune in on your feeds a little later today. We'll have more analysis, including Julius Randle's night, some more uh, recognition for the the overall efforts on defense by the Knicks, and some of the role players to help make this whole thing come together. So that's that's coming up later today in the second part of this episode of Locked On Knicks.